Should we do an NPR intro just for fun? <laughs> do that voice? The really soft one? Let's try it. Let's at least do an alt with it. All right. Hello and welcome back to Force for Thought. Today, Max is going rogue. Max, what are you going rogue about? Today, I am ranking my top 10 moments in Star Wars comics. All right, so as we said, uh, today I am going to be ranking my top 10 favorite moments in the uh, current canon Star Wars comics. So uh, there are a lot of comics pre-2015 that are no longer considered canon, so this is going to be 2015 onward. Um, And before we start, I just wanted to add a couple notes about comics in general, because it's a really interesting sandbox. What is a comic, you know? <laughs> what, what is a comic? Um, no, but it's, it's really interesting because they're playing in this larger sandbox, right, where they have to comply with the rules that are set forth in these TV shows and the movies, and in the hierarchy of canon, these TV shows and movies kind of take priority over them. So these comics are kind of relegated oftentimes to filling in some gaps and telling some lesser-known stories. They can't really tell these overly ambitious huge galaxy changing events just because those are the types of things that they you know reserve for the movies and tv shows but they can in the high republic go read the high republic everybody yeah you said you were going to retire that (laughs) never (laughs) for life the high republic three starts soon because the high republic is a a brand new dropping this is dropping rephrasing oh sorry you got to cut that anyway i was talking over max also, we're not doing this whole NPR voice the entire time. No. God, no. I'm not doing it right now. Did you think I was? No, I'm just letting the view, the listener know. Oh, okay. We're not going back to cut that it. back in earlier, too? No. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, so uh, it, it is really interesting, um, some of the rules that comic books have to play by, and it kind of creates this weird uh, push and pull where you kind of get this feeling all the time of like, like I, I just want something bigger to be happening, but things that big don't really happen in the comics, so then they feel smaller. And so it's like a really fine line that a lot of these comics have to oftentimes kind of find mm-hmm. uh, where they can tell a compelling and interesting, fun, new story without being so crazy that it just kind of breaks some of the, the rules uh, that were created in the movies or TV shows. I also have a hard time sometimes with comics because of that, I think. Um, and it's like maybe not the most, I don't know, right for me to do. I like, I, I enjoy comics, um, which is so odd. I think from like a nerdy person who loves Star Wars, who loves, you know, Batman, who likes sci-fi and, um, growing up, I feel like comics were always, they were always hard to like maintain. And I feel like Star Wars does a really good job of being able to do that. You understand these characters that you're, they're filling in the gaps more. They're creating these interesting stories where like. Uh, not to get off topic of Star Wars and not to mention the MCU, but like DC comics, for example, like Batman comics was always very confusing to me when they're like, Oh, the Joker in this one dies though. And also we're going to restart. And all of a sudden, instead of Dick Grayson, we're going to have Damian Wayne as Robin. And it's also just like these iterations and it gets really muddied and really confusing where I think Star Wars is able to, you know, they threw away all the legacy stuff. Um, not, it's not called legacy stuff. Well, I can't think of Legends. what it's called. Legends. Thank you. I was like, I knew it was close. Um, but I, throwing that stuff away, maybe still like appreciating it, understanding it, it exists. But being able to actually redo everything, I think, was actually a massive uh, undertaking and a, a, the right move to do. Because mm-hmm. there's so many iterations of like, oh, no, this time Wolverine is, uh, I don't know, like dead or a zombie or some, sh- I don't know. Yeah. Or he's blonde now, I think, actually. It's like, 
Yes. That's where we're at. We're turning Wolverine blonde. There there are pros and cons to doing it the that way with like superhero comics or yeah. this way with uh, Star Wars comics where it's all in the same canon. So you know what you're going to get when you pick up a comic because it's so... I've tried getting into DC or Marvel superhero comics and I just can't because the continuity is so funky and I never know where to start and what matters and what doesn't. Same. But like, if you pick up a Star Wars comic, like if I pick up that Star Wars Chewbacca comic, I know it's going to be about Chewbacca yep. and I know who Chewbacca is and it's a very easy jumping on point. And and it's like you, that way for most Star Wars comics. Yes, and then you get to uh, some of his story filled in between you know, the bigger arcs. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Maxwell, sorry. No, I appreciate you for taking off. I froze there because I was blanking on why I said that to begin with and what my segue was. I say that because some of the items on this list uh, are, they feel like pretty like big moments. Like, oh, wow, that seems like pretty significant for a comic book. And other ones seem very insignificant, but are just very touching for emotional or character purposes or things like that. So it's kind of an interesting uh, combination of, of both of them, I think, on this list. But uh, with that, I will... Uh, Start the list off with uh, my number 10 favorite moment in Star Wars comics, and it is the introduction of a character named Sana Staros. Uh, Sana Staros is introduced early in the mainline Star Wars comics in 2015, and she is introduced as Han Solo's wife. And it is a really good kind of twist and turn because you didn't know Han Solo had a wife or anything like that. Uh, this was 2015, so it was pre-Solo. Uh, you're kind of trying to figure out these these gaps. We don't know a whole lot about his past yet. Um, and uh, we later find out that it was uh, part of a scam that the two of them were running. She is also a smuggler. They pretended to get married, and he actually, Han, took her half of the loot and basically ran off with it, and she never saw it, and she was coming back to get it. So it was like a really good introduction for this character. Um, it kind of did that thing that comic books do because like I said, they can't really, uh, you know, uh, kind of steer away too much from what we already know from the TV shows and movies and everything. So they couldn't really say, Oh, Han Solo has been married this whole time. Um, but they did a good job of kind of being like, Oh, he was technically married, but it was for a scam. So it still felt very Han Solo like, and it was just a good introduction for the character in general. She's been kind of a mainstay ever since she's been a recurring character. She actually just recently got her own, uh, mini series as well. I I've read that comic where, um, she's introduced. I've read the beginning of uh, the star Wars mainline and I've talked about this before that comics have that unique property where even if a series is 50 60 70 issues long they still try to end each ep each uh issue with a cliffhanger and that can be tough to do and you kind of just have to like change your expectations and what you're expecting out of a story for a comic because they are going to end every uh issue with a cliffhanger and so that's like a big cliffhanger for some random issue like han solo's wife is introduced you're like oh but then like the next issue it's like oh but she's not really his wife and you're like okay well yeah, that makes sense. Exactly. And you find out why, and it's like, oh, actually, he scammed me and took my money. And you're like, oh, okay, that's actually really Han Solo thing <laughs> to do, I think. It's funny, like, I, that, I don't know, that story, it's so odd, because to me, it's like Han Solo was such, like, a small-time smuggler, gambler, like, uh, right, I, uh, I think, but, and it's so weird to have, like, be married is such a long con. <laughs> this is so interesting. It's, to me, it's like it feels out of character. Obviously, they can do whatever they want, and that's way more interesting than doing kind of like petty crimes. But that is a that is a long con. You know, I don't know if we got too many details on the marriage. I wonder how long the the engagement was for, what the ceremony was like. It is interesting. Yeah, I couldn't tell you. I even read it pretty recently. I don't remember. Uh, moving on to my number nine. Now, uh, 
number nine is kind of a, a much bigger moment. It's not really a moment. It's actually three different miniseries. It is the War of the Bounty Hunters. Uh, the War of the Bounty Hunters was a five-issue uh, miniseries that actually kicked off a trilogy of miniseries. Uh, the second one was called Crimson Reign, and the third was called Hidden Empire. And it takes place uh, immediately after the Empire Strikes Back. And uh, what the War of the Bounty Hunters is is exactly what it sounds like. There is a war that goes off between all of the bounty hunters competing over uh, Han Solo and Carbonite because somebody steals Han Solo and Carbonite from Boba Fett. And Boba Fett doesn't know who it is. He's trying to get it back, and it starts this entire war between the bounty hunters. And we later find out that who it was was none other than Lady Kira of Crimson Dawn, and that's where the second series, Crimson Rain, kicks off about all of her plans and everything, and it's a, it's a really fun story, a continuation of Kira's storyline, which I was always very curious about after Solo, so I'm glad that she got, you know, more more airtime, so to speak, so we can get more knowledge into this character. I'm a, almost a little disappointed that we got it in a comic book, just because... I love Solo so much that I wish we could see like her return on screen or something. And now if she does return on screen, obviously she still can. But again, she is now kind of uh, uh, limited to yeah. the events of War of the Bounty Hunters, Crimson Reign, and Hidden Empire. Yeah, she's also in um, that Crimson Rise. Oh, shoot, I forget the exact title. It's something like Crimson Rise. Yeah, a book. Yeah. And it's I haven't read it, but apparently it ends off on something of a cliffhanger and it's probably expected to be uh, another trilogy of books about Kira by E.K. Johnston. Is it she, Crimson Climb? Crimson Climb, yes, yeah. thank you. Because uh, that's such a better name, too. You got the hard C. Um, climb. I, I digress. I, I didn't come up with it. <laughs> I know. Um, but E.K. Johnston just, um, not just, but she wrote a trilogy of books about Padme, and they were um, mixed to well-received. I really liked the first one, didn't love the second one, never read the third, but... Um, I'm excited to read the Kira ones because the first one I hear is really good. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I didn't read it myself, so I don't know how it plays into it. But like I said, Hidden Empire is really good. Hidden Empire is the third of the trilogy of miniseries. And that one is all about uh, Kira's attempt to basically use this to distract the government uh, so that she can unleash this secret army that she has amassed within the ranks of the empire uh, of loyalists to crimson dawn uh, to try to basically overthrow the empire to create a power vacuum so that crimson uh, crimson dawn can kind of rise up and fill that void so to speak and it is really good um i i have it as number nine it sounds like a really huge moment in comics um but i have it as number nine just because the ending was kind of fell flat a little bit it, but again it kind of did that thing that you kind of have to expect from comics where it just kind of has to like find its way to reset itself so that obviously all the events can also still lead nicely into return of the jedi so right because kira's whole mission was to destroy the sith by killing palpatine it's like well you know that doesn't work out <laughs> whose mission exactly. isn't that you know <laughs> yeah and, and like uh, she wants to overthrow the empire and it's like oh that's awesome but again like okay well we know that doesn't work out either and so uh at the end obviously <laughs> she's she's unsuccessful and and crimson dawn is kind of uh disbanded and is no more um but we do know that kira survives um and we see a glimpse of her in the comics after the events of return of the jedi so post return of the jedi kira is still alive out there without crimson dawn oh god mandalorian season four please it's possible yeah. it's possible um oh, war of the bounty hunters was the 
first comic series that I got into beyond the higher public because the higher public was the first comic series I ever got into and it started uh, dropping in January of 2021 and I was going to my comic store every month and just getting the higher public comics and I kept seeing all the mainline Star Wars and all the other Star Wars um, series dropping every month but it was like well I don't want to just jump into the middle of it the higher public was issue one and that's why it was so exciting but then the summer of 21 the war of the bounty hunters started and I picked up uh, issue zero the prelude and I was like this is pretty cool. And it's just funny that that's how comics kind of work. That's the rule of cool because there's so many and you have so many options that you're, I mean, some people I'm sure read it all, but I'm never going to read it all. So I just got to pick up something that looks kind of neat. And I did that with uh, War of the Bounty Hunters and I quite liked it. It is it is a good jumping on point. Um, it is cool. It's a fun story, obviously. The art is really well done. And I also like that about comics. It, it is a visual medium, so you can judge a book on its cover. I read comic books all the time where i'm just like that looks cool i like this art so i'm gonna read it Mm -hmm. um and it's written by my personal favorite comic book author charles soul he is the most popular uh star wars comic book author he's definitely authored the most because of that um and for that reason i i he is like all but two of my remaining categories on my list a lot of them are by charles soul Hot tag, you know, favorite, most popular, and your favorite. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just Fighting these ice cold takes here on Force for Thought. Come on and defend yourself, Charles Soul. Um, all right, moving well, on. Sorry, before we move on, um, before I forget, because we've already moved on from Sonostaros, but Matt, you can just cut this into when we were talking about Sonostaros. Yeah, that'll happen. <laughs> Did you know that uh, she has a distant, um, dis- or she is the distant descendant from some High Republic characters. Hmm. The Staros family is in the High Republic. Kira Staros is a senator, and her daughter Avon Staros are staple characters. Yeah, you talked about them in your review. Did I probably it? did. Yeah. Yes, because I was like, that sounds very familiar. Yeah, interesting. I I think I forgot about that, but that is interesting. It is. Uh, moving on to number eight. Now, number eight is very different from War of the Bounty Hunters. Uh, like I said, War of the Bounty Hunters, Crimson Reign, and Hidden Empire. That Those are three different miniseries, so it was like a huge event. My number eight pick is actually a very, very small moment, and it's really just kind of some dialogue that we see uh, in a comic series called Obi-Wan and Anakin, uh, in which Obi-Wan says that he will leave the Order for Anakin uh, if he ever decides to abandon the Order. And uh, it happens in the series, like I said, Obi-Wan and Anakin, which takes place only a couple of years after The Phantom Menace. And for that reason alone, I really like it because it's a relatively unexplored time frame. Anakin is a young Padawan to Obi-Wan, and we see some of the things that he is struggling with. And the comic book does a really good job of it, of dealing with some of the... um, some of the philosophical questions of what the Jedi are there to do and who they can help. And there's, you know, jurisdictional issues and stuff like that too, that Anakin doesn't like. And the comic book, the series, uh, it's only, it's a mini series. So there's only five issues of it, but it does a really good job of also showing those first interactions that Anakin has with Palpatine, Mm -hmm. where Anakin kind of starts to develop a friendship with Palpatine and a little bit of trust. So you kind of see the seeds being placed for that. Um, But the whole thing takes place. Uh, right after a conversation between Anakin and Obi-Wan where Anakin says that he doesn't know if the Jedi Order is for him and that he's thinking about leaving the Order behind. And so they basically use this one last mission as an opportunity to kind of train Anakin in one last lesson and to hopefully keep him to stay. And at the end, Anakin does obviously decide to stay. And at the end, it's when Obi-Wan is talking to Yoda that he says that I've made a promise to Qui-Gon Jinn and if if Anakin does ever decide to leave, that I'm going to be leaving with him to continue 
continue mm-hmm. to train him in the ways of the force even if it's not as a jedi um wow i totally forgot what i was gonna say please <laughs> cut that for real <laughs> uh moving on number seven again oh, i remember and it was funny so I, I'm, I'm fine cutting you off okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no i can't cut that out either <laughs> Luke. All right, that's fine. It's going to be worth it. Um, Obi-Wan <laughs> should have said when Anakin was talking about leaving, uh, yeah, you know, that's an option, but for legal purposes, we will have to sell you back into slavery. <laughs> oh, my God. For legal reasons. We freed you to be a Jedi, and like, if you leave, you have that option, but you got to go back. Max, as a lawyer, does that hold up in court? Yes, that, that is the law. Um, uh, number seven is, is another very small moment, but I really like uh, moments in these comics where uh, they get really dark really quick because sometimes they get dark and I like it. But for the most part, comic books are a very kind of zany medium. So there's a lot of kind of outlandish things that happen in the comics. Um, and I like that, but I also like when they kind of pivot to something pretty dark. And there is a moment in a uh, miniseries uh, by Charles Soule called Lando. Uh, in Obviously. which Lando and Lobot steal uh, the Emperor's uh, pleasure yacht. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that was too long of a pause. Too easy. I know. I'm sorry. They steal the Emperor's pleasure yacht, the Imperialis, from oh. an Imperial um, shipyard. And when they make off with the, uh, with the ship... Uh, there's someone working at the shipyard who walks up to the lieutenant who's running it, and he says, so what's next? And he puts his blaster to his head, and he says, for me, this. But for you, I hear the um, I hear the rebellion is hiring. <laughs> and then it cuts away to a different frame, but he presumably kills himself yeah. because he failed, and he would rather kill himself rather than let the emperor know that he failed and got his yacht stolen. Uh, I have not read that Lando series, but I meant to because it's Charles Soule's first Star Wars book, and I think it was you that recommended it to me, and I accidentally read Lando Double or Nothing, a solo tie-in novel with Donald Glover-era Lando, and it was solid, but I you're finished like, it, and I told, I assume it was you, and I told you, and you were like, oh, yeah, that one was decent, but you should read this other Lando book. And I was like, well, I just read a Lando book. <laughs> I, I don't want to read another right now. It is a lot better, and unfortunately, I am about to spoil it for you in another two spots, because I have the same miniseries, another moment from yeah. that miniseries I on imagine my list. On. You're just no suicide at all in this. <laughs> <laughs> I was promised. Um, all right, and that brings me to my number six pick, The Rise of Kylo Ren. Again, this is one where I couldn't really narrow it down to a, a particular moment, uh, so I just went with The Rise of Kylo Ren, which is the name of a, another miniseries. This one is only four issues uh, that goes over um, the events of uh, Ben Solo, a.k.a. Kylo Ren, uh, immediately after the little flashback scenes that we see in The Last Jedi um, and what happens to him after that, how the temple burned down kind of how he made that turn to the dark side, got associated with the Knights of Ren. And we've talked about it before on the podcast. It's a really good comic. Uh, They do this... it's a really fun story to read because they kind of tease you along the entire time where these other Jedi that were in Luke's... um, uh, in Luke's school, uh, they kind of start dying off kind of at the hands of Kylo Ren, but sort of inadvertently. So they kind of do that thing where it's like, oh, like, yeah, he's kind of responsible for their deaths, but he never caused any of their deaths until the very end when he finally kills somebody in cold blood. Again, I know we've talked about it before if you've heard that story, but it is a really fun read. And it's only four issues, so it's actually a really quick read as well. But it is very good. There's another High Republic tie-in in in that series. Um, You remember where uh, Snoke is, where he lures or not even lures just invites ben solo over and turns him into kylo ren he's on this uh, space station with like a bunch of flowers and plant life 
That is the Amaxine space station from Into the Dark, which is the one book that you read. It if is. If you remember the, in the phase one of the higher public, um, wave one, it's uh, just a space station that some people get stranded on. There's a whole book there. But then it shows up again hundreds of years later in the rise of Kylo Ren. Or That's it showed so up cool. the first time in terms of uh, what was released in chronological, chronological order. But hmm. yeah, you get to see it hundreds of years ago in the higher public too. Wow. Very cool. That's really cool. I did not realize that. Um, number five, I have Lobot's Sacrifice. So this one, again, is from that Lando miniseries. Uh, Lobot, we find out in it, this takes place shortly before the events of uh, The Empire Strikes Back. And Lobot is a fully talking uh, individual. He has his own personality. He's, he's a normal person, but for the head implants, obviously. And we find out that he has these implants because he was a previous um, Imperial who was uh, like a military strategist, and they gave him these implants so that he could better process battle strategies and communicate them and everything. And that's why he has these implants. But the downside of these implants is that they're trying to basically take over his brain, and he has to like actively fight against it at all times. And if he ever like loses concentration, the implants can kind of start to take over his brain. And he can still kind of use the implants to do like some like robotic type things, mm -hmm. but it like really like takes over his brain in order to do it. And he has to like really fight back in order to kind of take himself back in there. And so in the uh, Lando miniseries, like I mentioned before, uh, the whole thing takes place on uh, the Imperialis, which is the uh, Emperor's yacht, uh, because Lando is hired to steal it. And when they are there, uh, they get ambushed by some uh, uh, people that are on board, and then uh, people are kind of brainwashed. It's a whole thing. But Lobot ends up getting stabbed, and uh, while he's stabbed, he's kind of losing his concentration, and he can't really fight off the implants. And during all of this, uh, the escape pods are locked down. And so they can't unlock them, and only Lobot was able to unlock them by basically using his implants, but knowing that he wouldn't be able to fight them off. So he basically sacrifices himself, and he becomes a essentially a cyborg, a robot, much more of a robot than a person, uh, just to make sure that Lando can get free. And This is also a great opportunity to say your guys' dad is the perfect Lobot. Yes, yeah. he cosplays as Lobot, yes. Also, I'm He's gonna, also bald. I will. I'm gonna. I'm <laughs> that's where the that's where their similarities really begin and end. <laughs> I guess. Um, but uh, uh, so so he kind of uh, turns into a robot, but he gets the um, uh, uh, the escape pods up and working, and they're able to get away and off to safety. And Lando feels guilty, and he says, "Don't worry, buddy. Like I'll find a way to cure you." And then there's a really beautiful monologue at the end of this series that I'm going to read real quick from Lobot. Uh, where he says, and it's like a pre-recorded thing. You'll get that, obviously. He says, hey, Lando, if you're hearing this recording, I'm gone, and you just said the word cure. I bet it didn't take too long either. I have screenshots, so I got to go to the next one. Maybe you'll pull it off. I wouldn't put it past you. I've seen you beat crazier odds. But even if you don't, I'm not angry about what happened to me. Not now, and definitely not by the time you hear this. I live by my choices. I don't think I have very much time left. Let me get to it. You have a power, Lando. People follow you. They willingly become chips in your game, cards in your deck. That's an amazing thing. It's how you do the things you do. We're your luck. So here's what I'd like to tell you, while I'm still your friend of many years instead of whatever I'm about to become. Stop playing. 
Get out of the game. Fold. Find something to believe in, other than yourself anyway. Use that power you have, that luck, all that charm, and do something good with it. Lando, old buddy, you're better than this. Dang, I got goosebumps. I know, same here. Robot convinced Lando to join the rebellion. It is, yeah. So... So that whole um, series, Lobot does have his implant, but he it's just like a, a feature on him. It doesn't make Correct. him that different from a normal person. Correct. He is still like a, he has his own personality. He talks, he has dialogue and everything, okay. but he's a perfectly normal person, but for the the head implants. Are you uh, up to date on the Star Wars mainline comics um, right now? Um, I'm a couple issues behind, but I, I um, well, the where I left off, Lobot wasn't in it, but he is around. There's actually, there's a mm-hmm. surprising amount of Lobot content in comics in general, and it's all very solid. Yeah, I keep, I, I'm not reading the mainline comic right now, but I see like every new issue, the cover of it, and Lobot's in a lot of them, and I just keep thinking, Lobot's not in Return of the Jedi. One of these series is going to get really sad. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's very possible. But yeah, there's uh, uh, a couple um, story arcs involving Lobot. Um, and yeah, it's really good. You don't expect a whole lot of good Lobot content in the comic books, but it is there. Lobot is another example of George Lucas putting in the absolute minimum effort for character design when someone asked him, hey, what do you want to name Lando's robot? Uh, Lobot. <laughs> <laughs> But then you have these quacky monkey lizards, and he's like, Salacious B. Crumb. <laughs> right. The man has layers. He picks his battles. <laughs> All right, moving on to my number four pick. I picked uh, A Funeral for Snap. It is a, uh, a, a one-shot in the, the Star Wars mainline comic book. It was actually um, issue 25 of the most recent volume. The first volume had 75 issues. So combined, this was the 100th issue. And as an added bonus, it was the 100th issue ever written uh, by Charles Soule. And he wanted to do something special for it. Um, Snap, a.k.a. Temin Wexley, had just recently passed away in uh, The Rise of Skywalker. And he was a very main character in Charles Soule's uh, ongoing Poe Dameron series, uh, as well as the entire Aftermath trilogy. Um, uh, Resistance Reborn is another novel that he was in. He was a very popular character in a lot of this uh, extended media. And then on screen, he'd never really got a whole lot of screen time. And then he just kind of dies unceremoniously. And it's really a bummer that they don't give him the fitting payoff uh, that the people who read the comics and books really wanted, but it kind of would have been unrealistic to, to, you know, have that kind of fan service for every single character. I wanted him to go out like that guy from Independence Day that says, hello, boys, I'm back. <laughs> or like the guy in Return of the Jedi, the A-wing pilot who crashes into the uh, executor. Yeah, that's a much better example. Cut mine, cut mine. <laughs> <laughs> Only include his. Um, so he gets to, he has this, uh, uh, issue, uh, where there's kind of four mini, uh, stories within it, but one of them is a funeral for Snap in which all of the, uh, main characters from the Poe Dameron ongoing series, uh, tell stories about Snap and remember him and give him a proper payoff and it is really beautiful and I'm glad that they took the time to do that and address that fact that this character had a kind of unceremonious death on screen. Um... I've read that issue also, uh, not because I read the Poe Dameron comic or that I'm that fond of Snap Wexley, uh, but that is, to date, still one of, if not the only, canon story post the rise, Sky- the rise of Skywalker. Dead air. <laughs> oh, I'm thinking. Stunned him silent. <laughs> I think. I think that's. Uh... 
I think it still might be the only content we have yeah. post The Rise of Skywalker. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Also, because um, Charles Soule has a story from all of his series in that uh, issue 25 from, what are they? The Rise of Kylo Ren, uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin, just the ones that Max has talked about already. <laughs> all the good ones. Poe Dameron. Um, They're so not fools. They know which one of their comics are good. <laughs> is it still considered a, a one-shot, the funeral for a snap, or would it be considered a quarter shot? <laughs> That's interesting. I don't know, because technically I don't even think it's a one-shot, because it's issue 25 of the mainline series. It's, huh. a, it's a standalone that, yeah, issue. That is fascinating. But, I don't know. Um, uh, someone who's a, a bigger nerd than us needs to explain the, the terminology and what that would make it. Just a different kind of nerd. <laughs> yeah. All right, that takes me to my number three top moment in Star Wars comics, and this one is actually a pretty big moment. Uh, it is Vader discovering Luke's last name. Uh, it's a moment that we know happens because in The Empire Strikes Back, obviously he reveals that he's his father, uh, but he doesn't know who this person is in A New Hope, and we find out that this story beat happens in a comic book, and it's a really fun story where uh, Darth Vader hires out bounty hunters to try to find out who this person is, and obviously one of those bounty hunters is Boba Fett. Uh, the story takes him to Tatooine where he... Uh, has a, a run-in there with Luke Skywalker, and he finds out his last name. Boba Fett eventually returns to Darth Vader uh, on board a Star Destroyer and says, you know, I wasn't able to, to capture the kid, but I got a last name for you. And he said, what's the name? And he said, Skywalker. And there's a really cool last shot of the comic of Vader just staring out the window of a Star Destroyer, and the window starts to crack as he clenches his fist. I've, I've also read that, and... Um... Unfortunately, when I read it for the first mm. time, I laughed at that scene, even though it's so badass. What? Why? Because it's like the Arthur meme of when he clenches <laughs> his fist. I was gonna. He was aboard the Star Destroyer, though. If you went any harder, he was gonna get stuck into the vacuum of space. I know, like, just, that's so how funny. angry he was. Whenever something bad happens to you, and you just clench your fist. Luke, can you do your uh, Tam impression of saying Tatooine? Oh, Tatooine. Yeah, there it is. That's all I can think of now. Also, it'd be really funny if. Uh, like Vader's receptionist was like, "Oh, I have a Luke Skywalker here for you." What? <laughs> Luke, Luke who? Yeah, wait, 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 wait. back up. Oh, also, I imagined Hello, uh, not Hello, the lyrics, Hello, Darkness, my old friend, starting to play as he's looking out. <laughs> oh man, you threw me off asking me for my Tem impression because we were just talking about uh, Tem and Wexley. I was like, "Oh my god, do I have a Snap Wexley impression?" <laughs> it's just your normal voice. <laughs> Uh, all right, so that brings me to my number two, and it is Fear and Dead Men. So um, I think at some point uh, we've talked about this one as well, but I forget what episode it was. So there was, it was a ranked. It was like your your um, favorite moment in Star Wars. I think it was one of my favorite. We haven't done moments, have we? Have we not done moments? Uh, was it your favorite oh, quote? Li- yeah, I think it was a quote. Probably favorite quote. Yeah, one of my favorite quotes in all of Star Wars is this uh, moment in a comic book. It comes from a, uh, a miniseries. It's a crossover event actually called Vader Down, uh, in which Vader crash lands a ship and he's being swarmed by all these rebels and they're obviously trying to kill him. And uh, they get into this little uh, valley and they have him fully surrounded with just hundreds of rebels armed to the teeth with thermal detonators blasters you name it and they say uh you know stop you know uh drop your lightsaber we have you surrounded and darth vader replies with all i am surrounded by is fear and dead men and he uses the force to activate the thermal detonators on all of their jackets and basically blows up every single rebel around him and it is one of the coolest moments in comics and it is one of the best lines in all of star wars in my opinion 
That's good. I agree. I said it, I think, when we were doing that episode, but I didn't. we kind of blew right past it. And I'd like to talk about it more because I think it's a really hot take, and I'm sure you guys had responses. I think Darth Vader is more suited as a comic book character than an on-screen character. You know, I can't say more, but he he definitely comes off well in the comics. He's just raw presence. Like, his dialogue... His, I mean, James Earl Jones is a great voice, but... Yeah, I was, like, I was just when he moves around Luke. and stuff, he just—it's just every scene of him on screen. You're just waiting for an action pose of a mm-hmm. shot, and that's every panel that he's ever in in the comic. It is odd. Is there is also a massive disconnect? I think when you're playing like the video games too, when they're he is just so fluent, and he's you, his his cape is flying around. He's very fast, and we've basically only seen him do that really in Rogue One. Even in Kenobi, the show, he is very much. <laughs> Just very walking, very like very slowly. Even mm-hmm. when he's fighting uh, Kenobi in like that in that last uh, finale battle, um, I, I I mean, man, I don't know. I, I almost prefer that Vader versus because I feel like we've seen that with other characters. Vader just has a a presence. I think I don't I don't even know if it's his vastness or his quickness. I think it is just over his overarching presence in, in the movies that exactly. are exactly, and that's crazy. why I think it's more suited for a comic because you want him like for a story element mm-hmm. to be overwhelmingly powerful and to win every fight he's ever in by a landslide. But when you see that practically like on screen, yeah. it looks hokey at times because he's slow and it's just, you, mm-hmm. you can't really display his strength that fluidly, like seeing it mm-hmm. happen in real time. But when you just see like snippets and shots, like in a comic book of him swinging down on someone and just, it's just the action shots. It's just the hits. It's perfect. Maybe it's, we just haven't like, found a good direction yet for him on screen, to be honest, like directing wise, or maybe it's not, maybe people are too nervous or precious about him. Cause again, I think rogue one, it, it was, yeah, great. maybe someone else I, could do it better. Yeah. I, well, I can't say I better. Mean, because I think said, they did him so well with, with oh. all the, the critics, uh, all the, or all the critiques, um, of everything that Lucasfilm has done, uh, since 2015, I think Darth Vader has been the thing that they've handled the absolute best. I think they yeah, haven't watered call. him down at all. I think like him being like that kind of more slower lumbering character. Yeah. I don't think that's like, you know, not doing him right. I just think that's like what he is. And you just kind of have to like work around that. If exactly. you're going to and I think work it's just that cooler into a to do character that in a or comic. as a story. Interesting. Um, the comics, uh, it definitely has the benefit of, I think, comics make it easier to follow a villain character, um, yeah. whereas, you know, we, there's only so much Darth Vader content that we can see in a movie um, because he would be the villain and what would be the story for that. You know, we're, we're limited in how we can see Vader on screen. Like, it worked in Kenobi, but obviously that was Kenobi's story, uh, so there's only so much that you can see of him there. But it's it's scary though, right? And it's like a like a horror movie trope, kind of like um, all the Halloween movies where you see Michael Myers like like slowly walking towards his prey. Yeah. You never see him run, but he always gets there, right? Yeah. And like that's like part of the part of the fear, I think, and that's kind of how I'm Darth not, Vader is. I agree. I'm not saying he's a bad TV or movie character by any means. I just mean in as far as like how good a character can be for TV and how good a character can be for comics. He's just more suited for comics. And I'll bring up Darth Maul, because he's also one of the best villains in Star Wars, and he's also in the comics, but he's not suited for the comics like Vader is, because so much of Darth Maul is how fast and agile and his, like, um, in the Duel of the Fates, his, like, stalking gaze on Qui-Gon as he's pacing back and forth, and that wouldn't translate as well to a comic, but every single one of Darth Mm -hmm. Vader's scenes are just 
him standing. It's not it's not ever an eye contact thing, I guess, except for that one scene in Kenobi <laughs> and in Rebels. But just that, I mean, it's just his silhouette some of the time. And it just makes more sense in a comic. It's all you need to strike fear in the hearts of a rebel. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I agree. Obviously, Darth Vader, uh, I think, objectively is probably one of the better comic books. Like, I think it sells the best um, because they're also currently on their third ongoing Darth Vader series. Um, it's And if you talk to anyone who reads the Star Wars comics, including myself, and, they are, and you say, like, where should I begin? They're probably going to recommend one of the Darth Vader series because they're so good. I personally would recommend the uh, Darth Vader 2017 series by Charles Soule. Uh, it is my favorite series uh, in all of Star Wars so far. Uh, I had another Rogue One where I reviewed that entire series, and it's really good if you want to go listen to it. Uh, but that brings me to my number one, because it's actually from that series, and it is Darth Vader bleeding his crystal. Hmm. Uh, so we see in the comics, uh, for the first time, how a Sith Lord gets his red blade, and it's by taking a crystal that's of a color, either blue or green, and literally bending it to their will. And the kyber crystal is like a living organism, and it resists, and they have to physically break it and bend it to their will until it starts to physically bleed, and that's what gives it its crimson color. And uh, in the comic book, when it happens, it is just such a really cool thing. The art is beautiful, and I just really like the story behind it and just the 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 lore that that brings to how a Sith gets their lightsaber. And I think it's just super cool. And that is my favorite moment in all of Star Wars comics. Understandably. It's yeah. sweet. I like it. The art, the art is really cool. I remember the, there's like a full page art of when it finally happens. And like there's lightning, yeah. red lightning going all over the place. Yeah. I think we looked it up when we, we you reviewed it and it's great. Yeah, I, I highly recommend it. Uh, if if you're interested in what I just said at all, and you don't want to read the comics, you can go back and listen to my other Rogue One, where I review uh, the Darth Vader comic series, uh, in which I do talk about it. But let me know what you think. If you do read the comic book series, which ones did I miss? Are there any other moments that you think I should talk about? Are there anything that you have in your top ten that I may have missed? Let us know. You can reach out to us across social media on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter. We're out here. Yeah. And for the record, the comic book that I recommend is the High Republic 2021 series. Let it go, <laughs> Luke. <laughs> See you, Sammy. Sammy.